Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi, and welcome to the ODI's lunchtime lectures. Uh, today's lecture will be given by Lee Dodds. As well as being an associate at the ODI, uh, Lee, Lee is an experienced uh, software engineer and technical consultant. So today Lee's going to be talking about um, how everyone can contribute to open data um, and sharing a couple of really interesting case studies um, that illustrate the, the power of what we can all do. A uh, couple of housekeeping rules, um, if you could save all questions to the end and I'll pass you the mic so the people on the live stream uh, can hear it. Um, and if you are watching on the live stream, if you could share any uh, comments or questions using the hashtag ODI Fridays, that would be great. So I'll pass over to Lee um, and enjoy the lecture. Okay, uh, thank you. So hello, uh, thank you uh, all for coming and hello to everyone who's watching uh, online. So what I'm gonna do this afternoon is uh, talk a little bit about some of the um, some of the open data projects that first got me excited about uh, data on the web and open data specifically. Um, and hopefully um, inspire you to kind of have a look at some of these projects, uh, and maybe get involved. Because um, I really do think that anyone can kind of get involved with, doing, with working with open data. Um, but just to kind of start things off, I've, I've been doing some thinking around um, uh, what, the, what it means uh, when we talk about the open data community and the different types of uh, ways that open data has been used in different sectors. And a lot of the kind of narrative that we have around open data at the moment refers to open government data. So we, t we tend to think about open data as um, driving uh, economic growth, uh, creating transparency, um, and, and uh, it, uh, being able, its use in solving uh, social problems. And that's, those are all great uses of open data, but um, open data is a much broader church. There's uh, many more communities who are using open data than just, just government. Um, and recently, we, we tend, we've started to focus on um, engaging with uh, commercial organizations to ask them to uh, not just use data, because many of them have been using open data for, for years, but also to publish data, to share more about what they're doing. And so uh, we think about... Uh, what that means for the organization, so what business models to, uh, to spin around open data, um, the impacts on the organization of becoming more open, you know, developing a kind of open culture, um, and building um, an evidence base to kind of uh, illustrate to other organizations that they might want to be open to. And again, these are all important things, but uh, just like open data is not, is not just open government data, open data is not just about organizational data. There's data that um, all of us can help collect uh, and share online. There are um, a variety of communities that are um, actively creating open data for the, really for their own purposes. So I guess my kind of one of my themes for today is open data as a creative activity, as, as a... Um, a means for uh, communities, of communities of people who are interested in a particular topic, a particular area, uh, to come together and share what they know. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through, um, I've got six different examples um, under that heading um, of ways that um, as individuals we can contribute to the creation of um, uh, open data. So most of these projects are going to be actually, the end result is a uh, open database that people can use. Um, there are other ways that obviously that we might individually contribute towards open data, but most of those are quite implicit. 
So our data might get um, used and analyzed and anonymized by different organizations and shared for different, for different reasons. But I want to focus more on creating open data for its own sake, for the benefits of a particular community. So um, of these six examples, uh, some of them you will have definitely heard of, and some I'm pretty sure that you won't have heard of before. So I wanted to give you a kind of sense of the, the variety of different projects there are. Um, and as I go through the slides, um, there's a few uh, figures on, on each slide which talks about uh, when the project was started, uh, how big the community is, and give you an idea of the size and content of the data set that they're producing, just so you can get a sense of, um, uh, of yeah, I guess of the amount of effort that is going into uh, doing this um, cataloging. So the first example is one that you will all have heard of, so Wikipedia. Right? So we all know that anyone can contribute to Wikipedia. We can all go and add, uh, add information, add content to Wikipedia. Um, but what you may not all be familiar with is the fact that there's ways to uh, use Wikipedia as a database. So Wikipedia, um, there's various projects that uh, turn um, the content into Wikipedia into structured data that can be used in various, uh, various applications. And the primary way that is done is by extracting the information that's present on the info boxes that you see at the kind of right-hand side of, the, of a Wikipedia page. So all of the kind of facts and figures uh, can be extracted and used. So there's projects like DBpedia that kind of bring all of that uh, information into the web of data. Um, probably the most obvious use of that is on Google search results. So if you search for a, a person or a place or any other thing at the moment, on your Google search results, you get a little info box. That information is coming directly from Wikipedia. So as you contribute to Wikipedia, if you add a page, um, you're adding to a large database of content that is used in a variety of different projects. So a few years ago, for example, I added a page about uh, an author of uh, some children's books that I enjoyed um, when I was younger, much younger. Um, there wasn't very much information about him on the web. Uh, he didn't have a Wikipedia page. So I added the page, I added the info box, uh, and I checked today, now when you search for him, um, it comes up with a little info box about him on Google search results. And because they've linked that to other sources, you can now see lists of his books that previously weren't, weren't that obvious on, um, on Google. You had to kind of uh, dig around to kind of find information. So that's a nice, that's a nice thing. That's something that I've, I've done, contributed to, and it's now that author who was previously perhaps might have been overlooked, has got a little bit more prominence. Um, Wikipedia is part of the, the Wikimedia um, uh, kind of suite of projects. Uh, another related project is Wikidata, um, which is, is, is really just trying to do uh, a similar thing to Wikipedia, but there's no content. You're not editing big articles. You're just adding facts and figures. So it's explicitly a, data, a database from the outset. So while Wikipedia was launched in 2001, Wikidata is uh, quite new. It's launched in 2012, uh, still relatively small, but it's, it's surprisingly rich. Uh, so you can just go, and, uh, go along to Wikidata, sign up, uh, and you can start adding information. So you can add something about um, your, uh, you know, your city. You can add something about your organization. It's very easy to do. Um, my second example is, again, something that you've probably heard of, um, OpenStreetMap. So this is a... Um, a map of the world created by volunteers, uh, launched in 2004. Um, it's, um, it's a very interesting example because there's a whole suite of other 
uh, applications um, and tools that have sprung up around OpenStreetMap to make it easy for people to contribute to it and to use the data in different settings. Um, so you can go to OpenStreetMap and you can uh, contribute to it directly. Um, I recently started to get involved in the project to kind of learn more about it. Um, my expectation going in was that um, it would be quite technical, that I would need you know, a GPS you know, professional GPS device and I would have to go out and walk streets and do kind of uh, you know, surveys. But that's, that's not how it works. Um, OpenStreetMap, uh, for certainly for a lot of uh, kind of, uh, I guess, the more developed countries where they have uh, 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 large communities, that most of the, map, the core mapping work has been done. They've filled in most of the blanks of the map. What they want now is more detail. So actually, you can go to OpenStreetMap and you can just add locations. So you can add, it's very easy just to add a location of a, of a, of a pub, of a restaurant, and give some details about it. Very small, simple contributions. Um, but they also lead you through the uh, process of uh, adding uh, data and content in different ways. So you can start to add um, building outlines by tracing satellite imagery. They've got some really nice tools that just allow you to look at um, imagery from around the world uh, and just draw and add buildings and locations. Um, and it's quite nice. It's quite, it's quite a therapeutic thing to do. I've, I've uh, spent an evening with a few beers just kind of adding buildings to OpenStreetMap. It's like doing an adult coloring book, but the, instead of having a picture, you're creating a better map of the world, right? It's great. Um, but there's, there's other ways, as I say, there's other ways that you can contribute to OpenStreetMap rather than just editing and working with the map directly. So there's a service called willmap.org. Um, which is uh, uh, a database that sits on top of OpenStreetMap that tries to uh, uh, enrich it with information about wheelchair accessibility. So you can install uh, WheelMap as a, as a mobile app or you can use it in your browser. Um, and they have a very simple traffic light system where you can just rate, um, rate the location on how accessible it is to, um, to wheelchair users. And they've got some great guidance around it um, and very easy to use. So we've been using this um, uh, for a project in, in Bath called Accessible Bath. Um, we got together a bunch of about, I think it's 25 volunteers one Saturday afternoon. We'd spent a couple of hours mapping and we did 30% of the city centre. So that's a kind of a really uh, big leap into the, um, the quality of the information about wheelchair accessibility in the local area. Um, there's other ways that you can, uh, you can contribute as well. You don't have to add information about your city or wherever you live. Um, there's an awful lot of um, uh, humanitarian mapping that happens around OpenStreetMap. So this is where the quality of the map needs to be improved, often quite rapidly, uh, because there has been uh, a disaster, flood or earthquake, or there's been a disease outbreak, and uh, aid workers need uh, better information about um, where the population is, where people live, so they can um, uh, invest their efforts in, in the right areas. Um, so there's a project called Missing Maps uh, where you can go along and you can volunteer to do uh, uh, edits to OpenStreetMap to add locations of uh, small villages uh, in Africa and other, other places um, that then ultimately you know, gets, gets used in, in these aid efforts. Um, and that's a really nice workflow. You know, they get very clear about what your task is. They give you some tutorial guidance. Um, and you, you can usually complete them in, in a few minutes, and you get almost instant feedback from the community on how well you're doing. Um, there's also, related to it, is a service called MapSwipe. So what this is, is a, uh, a mobile application, which you can use online or uh, offline. Um, 
Uh, and what you do is you, you get presented with a grid uh, of satellite images. Um, and all you have to do is just click on the image if there's a building there. And then you swipe left and you do the next grid. And you, you, these kind of gamified, so encourage you to contribute. But what's happening behind the scenes is where you've identified a building, that becomes a task for somebody at the next layer in missing maps. So it means that the people who are volunteering their time to do the more detailed mapping are focused in the most useful locations. So there's lots of different ways that you can contribute. You can, you can download um, a set of tasks from MapSwipe um, to use offline. So you can do it on your commute. You can do it on the tube and just kind of improve the, the quality of the map as you go. So that's OpenStreetMap. Uh, my next example, uh, which you may have heard of, um, is um, actually a family of projects uh, um, that sit on a platform called Zooniverse, which is a um, citizen science project. Um, citizen science is about using crowdsourcing to create scientific data sets. Um, probably the most well-known example, I think it was their first, was Galaxy Zoo, um, where you can look at um, astronomical photos and help uh, classify the, the, the astronomical objects, the galaxies that you see in the photos. And again, they lead you through the kind of process of, um, of what you need to be looking for and how you do the classification. Um, they had 150,000 active users, did 50 million uh, classifications, and all of the data then got published openly as, uh, as part of a series of academic papers. But there's a whole collection of uh, similar projects that run on Zooniverse. So if you're not interested in astronomy, you're interested in biology, then you can help the Natural History Museum uh, catalog its uh, archive of uh, insect specimens. So if you're interested in kind of digging into the, you know, the dusty corners of a, of a museum, then you can go through and you can, you can help them uh, do that cataloging. And there have been uh, you know, cases of people finding new species just because somebody hadn't cataloged an organism right that was in some cupboard somewhere. You know. So there's an opportunity to do some kind of really uh, interesting things. Um, one that I've been looking at and maybe contributing to is uh, called Old Weather, um, which is a project to try and build um, a better data set of uh, historical weather. Um, and what it's doing is it's looking at um, uh, uh, scans of uh, logs from ships. So whaling ships, for example. So the captain would have recorded every day what the weather was whenever he did the log entry. So what they're asking people to do is to look through the digitized logs um, and uh, make a record of what the, what the weather conditions were. And over time, that builds up a big data set of historical weather, which gives us more insight into historical climate. And it's a really nice kind of innovative use of um, uh, historical documents. So my next example, which you, uh, you may have heard of, um, is Music Brains, um, which launched in uh, 2000. Um, so this is a uh, collaboratively produced uh, music database. So it catalogues artists, releases, tracks, um, all, you know, everything that surrounds uh, kind of music, music information. Um, it was originally started as a, um, as a deliberate alternative to commercial data sets. Um, there'd been some examples of people doing kind of collaborative ca uh, cataloging uh, on systems which then commercialized the data and took all of the kind of value away from it uh, and without giving anything back to the community that had created it. So Music Brains was kind of set up as, a, as an alternative, still running 17 years later, um, and it's grown a kind of uh, commercial ecosystem around it. Um, so Music Brains powers a lot of music services. Um, 
I think it's used in Spotify, uh, and it's been powering um, the BBC Music site for something like 10 years. So whenever you look at uh, uh, information about artists and track on the, on the BBC site, this is where the data is coming from. Um, and BBC staff contribute to Music Brains rather than creating their own data set because it's, it's easier and better to do that for everyone. Um, if you're also interested in music, then you could also look at Discogs. So this is, a, again, another music data set, but where uh, Music Brains is just focused on, kind of, I guess, the broader metadata, Discogs is about vinyl. So it uh, started as, and still is, a marketplace for record collectors, so they can uh, buy and sell uh, vinyl. Um, but in order to power that marketplace, they needed uh, an open, well, needed a data set of vinyl releases. So they created a, a means for people to collaborate, collaborate around creating that data set, and it's become more and more open over time, so it's now in the public domain. So that covers 7.7 uh, .7 million uh, vinyl releases and all of the tracks and kind of metadata that goes around that. So another very, very rich data set. Um, another example which you may have heard of, a um, little bit more uh, obscure, is um, open plaques. So this is a uh, smaller community uh, of people, it's got about 1,600 photographers, who are photographing uh, historical plaques that are on um, streets and buildings. So they're kind of blue plaques that commemorate that somebody lived uh, in that place or where, a specific, you know, where an interesting event uh, happened. Um, they share their photos onto the site along with uh, some metadata, so the text of the, of the plaque uh, who it mentions. So then you've kind of, they're building up this data set that kind of connects people and places. It's all linked out to Wikipedia, so you can kind of start to explore kind of uh, the history of your area in a, in a slightly different way. Um, it's really nice, and it's, it's kind of, it's a very, it's a much more kind of niche example than some of the others, but I think it's great. It's just people who are interested in this as a, as a subject just coming together to um, create uh, an open resource. Um, you probably haven't heard of this one. Um, it's a slightly different example, but I had to include it because it was Lego. Um, so this is a site called uh, Rebrickable. Um, what, it, uh, what it does is they have a database of uh, Lego sets. So they have all of the official Lego sets and which parts are in them. So they've got a very rich kind of uh, data set there. Um, but if you are a, um, a fan of Lego and you create your own custom models, then you can upload your model to the website uh, in machine-readable ways. Um, and all of that data about your model is then exposed to anybody else that wants to use it. It's not under a formal open license, but it's available for uh, commercial use just as long as you attribute the, the source. So you can, get, you can do things like um, if, you've got, if you know that you've bought these official sets, then um, it can tell you that you can, buy, you can build these custom models that other people have provided instructions for. So you can kind of... Uh, find other ways to use your, use your parts. And again, I thought uh, the reason I included this, other than the fact that it was Lego and I like Lego, is uh, that it's a community that's just using open data for its own purposes, really. There's no greater, um, you know, greater purpose behind it other than it just helps them achieve their, their immediate, you know, the immediate goal of um, sharing with one another. Uh, and my last example, um, is also the oldest one. Um, I'm not sure how many people have contributed to this, but it's been around since 1994. So this is, um, uh, it, the founders of this were originally using uh, desktop database packages and sharing the data around on, you know, on, on disks and things. Um, 
rather than using the internet, but it's now been brought uh, online. It's at comics.org. It's a, it's a database of comics. It's got 1.3 million uh, comics in there, everything from you know, the kind of dandy Beano all the way through to um, you know, kind of all of the kind of Marvel DC comics as well. So there's, there's cover information about each, each uh, comic. Uh, there's a whole series of uh, story arcs. Uh, there's all the information about the, the writers and illustrators, and really deep kind of uh, data set for people who are interested in comics. It's a great, you know, it's a great resource, and it's easy to easy to contribute to. I, I checked, and um, uh, this week's 2000 AD is already kind of in in the catalogue, so people are still actively using it, even you know, even all this time on. So, um, whatever your area of interest, pretty sure that there is an open data project that you could contribute to, and if there isn't, then there's always Wikipedia, which will take basically anything. Um, so I think what I think is interesting about uh, these projects, as I say, is that open data is not really kind of uh, driving economic growth, or it's really as an enabler for these, for these communities. Um, open licensing is creating a, a level playing field um, for everyone who's contributing. So it means that if, if you or I contribute to that data set, we both have as much rights in the output. Uh, output. So anyone contributing can, can take that data at any time and do whatever they want with it. So it creates, um, like I say, it creates a level playing field so everyone is contributing on the same basis. It means that the data, um, the community's efforts isn't going to get locked away by a commercial organization. Um, and I think that creates a level of trust that encourages participation. I think that's one of the reasons why some of these projects have been around for as long as they have even if they're maybe not that visible, is because they've, they're kind of using open uh, as a key part of what they're, what they're doing. Um, I, one of the reasons I think they're, they're interesting um, is they're also really good examples of different ways of working with data on the web. Um, because they're community projects, they've got people contributing from around the world, highly distributed, they have to think through what it means to, to engage with communities, uh, to... Uh, take edits and contributions from people with different skill sets, different backgrounds, different levels of knowledge, and incorporate that into, into their data. So it's really interesting to look at them from that perspective to see what we might be able to learn from it to take it into some of the other areas where open data is useful, so in the government context and, and commercial space. Um, so there's a, lot, there's a lot in here, a, a, a lot of kind of useful patterns and approaches to collaborative maintenance. Um, and the, uh, as I say, I think OpenStreetMap is particularly rich because they have all this, um, this kind of much broader ecosystem uh, of um, uh, tools that support kind of edits. Um, we often say in the open data community that uh, make things open uh, and it makes them better. It's one of the GDS design principles. And if we do make things open, it's a, it does make them better in the sense that more people can look at them uh, more people can use them, um, and they can point out problems. But um, we can go a step further. If we put that open data into a collaborative environment, then the community can, can make it better immediately, rather than hoping that, they will, um, that, that you will take on whatever their suggested improvements are. It becomes a uh, more collaborative resource that I think then can move at a faster pace. Um, so I think sometimes we have to think a little bit more about what infrastructure we're putting open data into in order to kind of get the maximum amount of benefits from it. 
Um, I think something else that I, I kind of occurred to me when I was kind of uh, certainly putting together some of the, the data for the slides was, was how old some of the projects are. So clearly they're sustainable, which, so that's kind of that's interesting in itself. But at how few they were uh, that have been started recently. You might have expected that lots of these would have been started in the last few years. Um, and I was trying to figure through why that was. Um, whether it's just because we've been focusing our open data efforts on government, on, on commercial businesses, and so we're not really uh, supporting or encouraging this type of work, um, or whether it reflects the changing way that we use the web. Um, lots of these services started around the kind of web 2.0 kind of hype, where it was more about sharing in, in a much more kind of richer sense in terms of sharing bookmarks and photos and music playlists, whereas now we're mostly kind of posting to Facebook and social media and liking things, and it's a different interaction model. And it kind of feels like we might have lost something along the way, so I kind of like to push people to kind of look at these projects, because I think there's, um, um, there's some value in that, um, you know, because really the web was started to share what we know, uh, and this is what these communities are, are doing. Um, there's also some, lots of untapped resources. So in putting together my list of uh, potential uh, services you could use, there were a lot that I had to discount because they don't produce open data. Um, the community has either, is either not, is not using an open license or they've kind of decided not to th think about the licensing because it's difficult. Um, and that means that I think there are some resources out there that, might, that could benefit from a bit of kind of encouragement or activism to... Uh, uh, make them become more open or suggest that they become more open um, because they may be able to unlock, unlock a bit more value uh, from, from what they're doing as a community. Um, there's also opening licensed content online which could be um, processed to create more structured data. So one example I have there um, is um, it's similar to the Wikipedia example. So there's a service called uh, Wikia. Um, it was originally called Wikicities when it was launched. Um, it was founded by Jimmy Wales just after he'd launched uh, um, Wikipedia. Um, and it's a wiki environment. So anyone can go along. You can sign up for free on the site, and you can create your own wiki. So if you're interested in, um, uh, in a film or a, a TV series or a series of books, um, you can just go and create a wiki around it, and you can get other people to add to it. Um, and the conditions of using the free software is that everything you put in there is under an open license. It's all under a Creative Commons attribution share alike license. So it's all opening license content. There are 360,000 of these wikis. Um, they, there's 190 million people look at them every month. Um, they, there's a total of 43 million pages of content, which is the same size as the English Wikipedia. So there's a lot of content there. Um, um, most of these wikis have info boxes, have structured information on them exactly the same as Wikipedia does. But so far, nobody has yet kind of done that, that same step that we've done for, um, for Wikipedia um, of turning it into structured data. Um, and I think that would be a really great thing to do to kind of bring these kind of, these, these kind of fan-based kind of uh, uh, wikis into the, the open data commons, into the web of data, the same as we are kind of publishing uh, other sources. So that's something that I kind of, uh, I'd like to dig into in a bit more detail at some point. So that brings me to the end of my talk. So um, uh, thank you for listening. Hopefully, uh, I've told you at least about, about at least one project that you hadn't heard of and maybe inspired you to uh,
contribute or look a bit deeper at them. So thank you very much. Cool, thanks Lee. Uh, are there any questions from the audience? Yeah. Can I just kick off with one, Lee? Um, do you have any personal projects that you're working on at the moment? Any personal passions that you're turning into open data? Um, I've got a, a couple. I, so, I, so I run um, a local community group called uh, Bathhack. So we're running a whole series of projects around that, which is focused on publishing data for our, for our community. So I've mentioned Accessible Bath uh, as one. We're also doing a project called Energy Sparks, which is helping um, going to help schools be more energy efficient by encouraging them to open up their energy usage data. So there's those. More personal projects. Um, I'm currently um, uh, looking at ways to get data out of the Internet Archive. So they have um, uh, so they have scans of lots of lots of content, um, and they've got this really rich archive of um, uh, historical computer magazines. Uh, so you know, so I, my, my first computer is the Spectrum. You know, that's where I started my my kind of computing career. Um, they have all of the all of the magazines that I bought that off the from the magazine rack on there. Um, there's not a huge amount of data around it, but also it's not that visible, or it could be more visible anyway, in my opinion. So I'm currently kind of extracting some of the the content and metadata that you have and looking at ways to um, make it uh, more widely available. Um, I've also taken some. Uh, openly licensed book scans from British Library. So they have um, there's three books that have got historical playbills for the theatre in Bath. So I've extracted all the images from that and I'm trying to work out the best kind of collaborative environment to help people catalogue that so that we get a kind of sense of that local history. Any other questions? I have a follow-up from me then. Um, so you've mentioned with a lot of the projects that it involves history in some way, so historical playbills for the theatre. Mm -hmm. Do you think that for historians this will lead to doing history in different ways using data? Yeah, I, I, th I think so, absolutely, yeah. I think there's, um, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of interesting work that's happening around the kind of archives and museum space around open data um, because um, Individual museums only have their own kind of view of history, um, so they need to bring it together to, to help kind of scholars, uh, you know, do that kind of analysis. So I think there's some there's some um, yeah really interesting fertile territory there. Great, thanks. Uh, anything on Twitter? Uh, no, not yet. Um, I've got another one though. All right, go for it. <laughs> um, how do you how do you get people who are passionate about something? To get, how do you get them started with sharing their data and kind of how, how, do you, how do you encourage them to do it and show them how easy it is? Um, hmm, that's so I think some, for some of these projects, I think it's really just um, showing, I, I, we're all passionate about something, whether it's kind of music or books or what have you. Um, in some cases, I think it's just showing people that there is ways to kind of engage with a you know, a, com a wider community of people are also passionate about the same things in a way that will actually produce some resource rather than just kind of, you know, geeking out over it, um, that there's some, there's some ultimate purpose. Um, I mean, from the, the, the local projects I'm doing, again, people are kind of passionate about doing something for their community. And often, again, it's just providing an easy way for them to get involved. 
So I was really, I was really amazed with the, the reception that we had for the Accessible Bath project. So we put a lot of effort into working out how to give people clear tasks, clear instructions, um, support on using wheel maps. So we did a bit of training and kind of workshops to kind of get people up to speed. Uh, and people just turned up and they went away and, and they did it. So sometimes it's just the process of asking uh, can be and un 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 showing what the results will be is, is, is enough. Thank you. Of course, I've heard of uh, Wikipedia, but the vast majority of the projects you uh, put out, I didn't, hadn't heard of them before. So I'm just curious how the open plaques work. Is it just someone literally goes and takes a picture of a plaque that they've seen and, um, and posts it onto the website? Is that yeah, how it actually works? Yeah, you, um, uh, you can also post it on Flickr and other photo sites and kind of bring that into uh, open, open plaques as well. Um, is there anything else from the audience? All right, um, then I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Lee, for that really interesting talk. Um, and yeah, uh, there's tea and coffee um, here. Thank you very much for coming and have a great Friday. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.